Well, church, I would ask you to turn in the Gospel of Mark to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 30 through 34 this morning. Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34. And he, that is Jesus, said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes large, larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word has come to us and that by these parables, you have given us your word. But more than that, as your disciples, you have explained to us that you have given us your apostles to record your the fullness of your teaching, that you've given us your spirit to humble us, give us faith for understanding. Lord, I pray that that is what would happen in the next few moments together, that we would not only give attention, but you would work the miracle of understanding by faith among the congregation this morning. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're wrapping up a few things. We're wrapping up our time in the Gospel of uh, Mark chapter 4. Uh, this, we've spent many weeks here with this long parable at the beginning of the chapter, the parable of the four soils, and then by continuing with these three shorter parables that give us a, a greater understanding of what it means to give attention to Jesus gives attention what it means to give attention to his word that he might find fertile soil in our hearts to give the attention specifically the attention of faith to be humbled before the word of the lord i pray that that would be so for us this morning we're also wrapping up uh, this portion of our sermon series in the gospel of mark we're going to take a break from the gospel of mark during the course of these summer months we're beginning a new sermon series next week called the, the Seven Follies, um, the Seven Deadly Follies, as we walk through uh, 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 seven different topics in the Proverbs. One of the things I'm really excited about this summer is that we are going to have a number of pastors from around Crosspoint, both Justin and Joel, as well as other pastors around uh, the Crosspoint churches here in Central Florida being able to join us this summer, as well as some of the elders here at Crosspoint Coast Pineda joining us in preaching the word from the Proverbs. I hope that you'll join us for that, uh, as we really see the wisdom of God held out for us. But the same thing is true of the Proverbs as what is true of our passage this morning. What is needed is that we would humble ourselves in faith, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as we humble ourselves before him. Now, if you look at our passage, verse 30 this morning, it says, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? What's the topic this morning? You know what it is. It says it, right? 
The topic this morning is the kingdom of God. Whatever it is that Jesus says next is as he's thinking, as he's calling your attention, with what shall we compare the kingdom of God? What can it be compared for? What parable might we use? And then he shares the parable. The topic this morning is the kingdom of God. Now, what I want to do is I want to give us a little bit of orientation to the kingdom of God. What we know of the kingdom of God, what we know of that metaphor as well, all right? What we know of those words before we even look at the parable itself for greater understanding. And the first thing is this, that the key to the kingdom of God, the king is key to understanding the kingdom of God. The king is key to understanding the kingdom. I've watched believers get so excited talking about the kingdom of God, but then when they start talking, all that they talk about is the church or be about expansion and global mission. And I'm thinking you're missing the key component to understanding the kingdom. Why aren't we talking about the king of the kingdom? For without the king, it's just dumb. Sorry, I had to do that. Um, if we're gonna talk about the kingdom of God, wouldn't it be best to begin by talking about the king? At its root, the kingdom, any kingdom, is the extent or the boundaries of the authority of the reign of the king himself. What is a kingdom? What are the boundaries of the kingdom? Well, how far the people can push it? No. It's the reach of the authority of the king. So if you want to know what the kingdom is, you got to look at the king and his authority. At its root, it's this. In Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Well, what good news? All I did was say is the kingdom is here, and everybody's like, what? What are you talking about? What about the great expansion of global mission of Israel? What about the church? What about the great people? The king. What's Jesus talking about? When he's talking about the kingdom is at hand, he's saying the king is here. And, and when he says, when the, king, when the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying, literally, if you took your hand like this, you could reach out and you could touch it. Because if you're touching the king, you're touching the very source of the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand because Jesus is right there. The king is literally standing there before them. So the king is key to understanding the kingdom of God. We have to understand the king. The second is this. The word of the king is the means of the growth of the kingdom. This is true in every kingdom. The word or authority of the king is the means of the growth of the kingdom. This has always been true of God's rule. He rules by the authority of his word, right from the beginning of creation. We're going to essentially tell the same story three times. Matt has already told you we're good at doing things over and over again. Well, right here in the sermon, we're gonna tell the same story. If you're listening closely, you'll see we do it about three times. Right at the beginning of the story, we have G Jesus, who is the creator God, by his word, all things were made. And then God ruled by his command, to Adam and Eve, he gave his command to Adam and Eve in the garden. It was a command of generosity, immediate of all the trees in the garden, and a command of prohibition, except this, just this one. It began 
with his word. And then we have his call and his promise to Abraham. How does God come to Abraham? He comes to him by his word, the word of his covenant and promise to Abraham. And then we have his call to Israel to come out of Egypt. He came through his mediator Moses with a word to Israel to come out and to be his child and to come out and worship him. And then we have his command to the people at Mount Sinai, and it came via words, specifically the Ten Commandments. Then we have his covenant with David, and we have God's word to David that there will be a Messiah in his line, and his word of warning and hope through the prophets. Over and over again, what we have through the whole of the extent of the kingdom of God is God ruling by means of his word. And now we have Jesus stepping onto the scene with a word that he calls gospel. I didn't misread it. It's the same word. He came preaching the word of the kingdom, and his call is to believe in this good news, in this gospel. The king is continuing in the person and work of Jesus. He's continuing to exercise his authority by means of his word. Here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus has taken, Mark has, has collected up an entire chapter of Jesus' teaching, devoting this chapter to tell us how essential it is that we give attention and truly submit to the word of Jesus. Because to submit to the word of Jesus is to submit to the authority of the king. Did you catch it? Are you getting it so far? We can't move on. You'll misunderstand all the rest, and certainly this chapter of Scripture, if we don't understand the essence of chapter 4, is that to submit to the word of Jesus is to submit to the authority of the king of the kingdom. So when Jesus starts talking about, to what can I compare the kingdom of God? He's talking about the extent of the reign of his own kingship by his word. What does that mean? look like. Now, here's what's interesting about God's speech. Every time God speaks, he also acts. When God speaks, God also does. His command in the garden also came in the context of his might and generosity of creation. Tell me that creation, even though it was a work of his word, tell me that creation wasn't a great deed of our God. And right there in the midst of that deed, he speaks his command and walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. His call to Abraham came to a man whose wife was barren and had no hope of any generational inheritance to pass down. And God promised to make him a great people and a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's great. That was really nice of God to say. But he didn't just say, did he? He then did the work to give him a son, Isaac, in fulfillment of his promise. Do you see that? He speaks and he does. Consider God's giving of the law at Mount Sinai. What was the context in which that was given? The great deed, the great work of God's redeeming Israel out from slavery in Egypt. So you have God's word accompanying God's work. God's activity is constant throughout the age of the kings of Israel and Judah and throughout all the time God is preserving the line of the descendants of David, all according to his promise. We have God's promise to David and God's work to maintain 
that promise. And then through the word of the prophets, God brought rescue from neighboring oppressors and even brought about his word of judgment upon the people for their sin as a people, as invading armies took Israel into exile. God promised judgment if they did not turn and repent. And he brought them judgment by his deed. God's word is always accompanied by God's work. And as we said last week, it's the word that works. He's working by his word. Often, it's impossible to separate his word from his work. Particularly, look at creation. How did he do the deed of creation? Well, he said something and then waved a wand. That's how we'd do it if we were magical, right? No, he didn't say something in the way of the wand. He said something and it was. The word was the work in that moment. So often it's inseparable. Now, with the coming of Jesus, we have the word of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we have Jesus who does the work to bring the kingdom of God into full flowering. You see, the gospel isn't just news. It's news of the work of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This parable is about the long history of the word of God at work to create the people of God who are the extent of the authority of his kingdom. This parable is about the long history of the word of God at work to create a people God's word is often working in tiny places, often among insignificant peoples. Even Jesus' words, as astonishing and as crowd-gathering as they were, as we've seen in just these first chapters of the Gospel of Mark, even as astonishing as they are, will they really make any dent in history? Come on, it's just some guy by the Sea of Galilee gathering crowds. Anybody can gather a crowd if you work hard enough and you do amazing enough things, right? Right? The Israelite people, the people of God's word and work are in the scope of things quite small. Worse than that, in the moment in which we find this text being written and in the moment into which Jesus came speaking the word of the gospel, they weren't just small, they were oppressed. They were subjugated to Rome. And in everyday life, so many were afflicted by disease and demons or else they wouldn't be coming to Jesus to observe his great work, by and large, ignoring his word, do you see? It's still a small thing, a small people being cared for by what would look like a small man. It would seem that while Jesus was an amazing miracle worker and he spoke with great authority, is his word really a great and significant hope for those who would receive it? Or do you just sort of get your healing and go home? That's the question that Jesus is addressing in this parable. Do you really want to listen to Jesus' word or did you get your healing and now you can go home? Will the word of God's promise ever truly flower into a great and glorious kingdom of peace and rest. Do you have that question at all? Will God's word ever truly flower into a glorious kingdom of rest and peace? Man, I would love to have a resounding yes to that. I would love to have some evidence of some true and enduring hope to that question. I want you to see this. 
Because the church today has been so short-sighted so often when we talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God about which Jesus is speaking is a part of a story and, and a word that stretches back to the beginning of time. You've already heard me tell the story twice already. It's a story of redemption and the establishment of a people by the word of the king from creation to Abraham to Moses to David, to the prophets, to now Jesus the king himself. It's a story of the work of the king to redeem and keep a people for his kingdom. I want us to see something grand in scope this morning, encompassing all of redemption history when we think of the kingdom of God. I don't want us to think narrow and small. I want us to think as big as the word of the king and his kingdom itself when we hear this parable. I want us, when we hear of a tiny seed, not to only think of 12 disciples, Pentecost, Acts, and the spread of a church through the known world. That's amazing, but it's too small. It's too narrow in scope when you consider all of redemption history. When we remember the whole story, we should have in view the power of God from creation to the seed of Abraham to the birth of the Israelite nation to the promise of the Messiah. And now standing before us today is Messiah himself. The king has arrived and he reigns by his word, and his work is to rescue and redeem. That's the context into which Jesus drops this tiny little parable into this great story of a kingdom that stretches all of history. So let us listen. When we think of the seed of the kingdom, we should think of the word of God. When we hear about a mustard seed, we ought to think about the word of the king. Sown throughout all of redemption history, preserved among the people of Israel, specifically God's word preserved among a specific people, and now it's being fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. That's what we should be thinking about when we think about the the kingdom. That's what Jesus is thinking about. That's what he knows. That's the story that he has recorded. And now he says... Verse 30, with what can we compare the kingdom? That whole story. With what can we compare the kingdom? Or what parable shall we use? And so I want to focus, first of all, on the size of the kingdom. Look at verse 31 with me. The size of the kingdom from small to large. It is like a grain A grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. This week, as I ask myself, when I share this parable with you, I always ask myself, what are they going to hear? What are you going to think about? What did I think about when I first read the parable. Do I plan to share how the, the small little church after the resurrection would grow so quickly and spread throughout all of the earth? That seems like the most immediate application, doesn't it? And we will do that. It's a glorious, small to great story to tell. But there are two problems with the story. The first is that it's too narrow. The spread of the word began long before Pentecost. 
Long before, long before even the incarnation, the king was spreading his word. We don't get a glimpse of how the word germinated among this relatively small nation and people over centuries before it burst forth and put out its large branches. We have images of God sowing this tiny little grain in a tiny little people to preserve a word so that when Messiah comes, Messiah can talk about kingdom and the people will know what he's talking about. The kingdom of God has always been small to start. It's always been the case. This is the way of the kingdom of God, established by the word of his promise. When the word came to Abraham, who was he? One dude. One dude, a singular man and a barren wife. That's it. You don't write stories about that person because you never hear about that person because there's nobody left after them to tell their story. One small little blip of a story. The word is little more than a tiny seed of hope and a promise dropped into despair. I hope you hear that this morning. Some of you are like, man, I could hear a word like that. Think of the Israelite people in Egypt. They came to Egypt and they were just 12 brothers and their families. And one of their brothers, they sold them to slavery there anyway. So can you really count him? Well, in the end, you really can but that people, that those 12 brothers and their families grew to become a great multitude, a nation within the nation of Egypt, so large that they became a problem as a nation within the nation. But even as a nation, though they increased in the region, even though when they were brought out of Egypt and they were given their own land, the land of promise, though they experienced a brief moment of greatness during the expansion of King David and the peace and prosperity of King Solomon and the affluent reign there. When, they, when you see the, the superpowers of the region rise up around them, Babylon, Assyria, Israel was of no enduring real rival power. They're still small. We see the superpowers of the book of Daniel. Our church spent a good long time in Daniel a number of years back, and I was so amazed by these superpowers who had taken Israel into exile so that they were just about nothing. The people of God are so small, it would seem that they are always at the whim of the nations that surround them. So what is the kingdom of God? It's small. That's one of the things that we should learn by, by looking at redemption history. The kingdom of God is a, is a tiny little thing. It doesn't just produce a small local people prone to internal squabbles and external tyranny, does it? Are they stuck being small forever? Are they stuck in exile or being oppressed forever? Are they just a tiny little mustard seed? But it's in the midst of this people, in the midst of that story, the story of the people of Israel, who received God's word, that the word of God is made known and preserved for all who would hear the word of Jesus. God has shown his character. God has shown his will. God has given his scriptures. He's given his covenant. He's given his promise. And it's through the children of that one man, a tiny little man, Abraham, that a barren woman, Sarah, that all the families of the earth gain access to the word of God. 
small, tiny. The seed is sown in Israel, but the people who call upon the name of the Lord will swell to every corner of the earth through the seed that was sown there. How will this be? How will a word that was given to one tiny little man without even someone to receive his inheritance, how will this, come, this word come to affect the whole of the world? And the answer is by the word and work of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's why he's talking about this mustard seed that's been there for a long time. And now he's calling them, listen to my word. Watch my work, and you'll see in the past God has made his word known through mediators and prophets, but God now has made known his word through the king himself present. The king has come. It's Jesus who makes these pronouncements in parables to the crowds, explains them to a few, a small number, who draw close, and then Jesus will cause the mystery of that gospel to take root, burst forth, and expand to the ends of the earth. Jesus is making disciples out of these Israelite men and women, a small band of disciples, just as he has the whole time in the story of the kingdom. But it's even more than that. Think of Jesus himself. He's just one small man. The prophets are very clear. There wasn't anything to draw us to him. He wasn't impressive in any particular way. His adoptive father was a mere carpenter. How will anything ever come from his word, his work? What can he really do? In the end, I mean, follow the story. You're like, yeah, but he's Jesus. Are you you sure? He's Jesus? Because it looks to me like, for the story of Jesus, like his family was right. At the end of chapter 3, they suggest he's going to get himself killed. He's not even eating well. He's drawing too much attention to himself, and he's a danger to himself and others. And they were right. That one small man, Jesus, got himself killed, died on a Roman cross. That's just how small is the mustard seed of the kingdom of God. Jesus is just a small seed that falls to the ground and looks like it's dead. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? But what we see is that Jesus is a seed He's not a dead thing. He's a seed that when he's placed in the grave, he broke forth in his resurrection into the greatest expansion of God's word in all of history. You see, the word that has been preserved and is now proclaimed by the king himself bursts out of the ground in resurrection and bursts to every corner of the earth. The word and the work of King Jesus is truly like a mustard seed. It's small, it's simple, it looks like it's dead on the ground, but it grows up to be larger than every other word and work in all of history. Do you see if we just held this to the growth of a church? It'd be too small. Oh, this is a big story. The word and work of Jesus and his kingdom are not just a matter of size. His word and work are also a matter of great significance. So he goes from not only small to great, but also from obscure to significant. There's an interesting phrase in the parable. It's an otherwise unnecessary comment, if you're following along in the story. 
Look at the parable again. It's short enough we can read it. It's like a grain of mustard seed, verse 31, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and put out large branches, period, right? But he adds this phrase, a curious one. So the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Well, that's nice. How quaint. Interesting little nuance to the parable. So the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. But here's the thing. Multiple times throughout Scripture, it was a a well-known metaphor. As many of Jesus' parables are, he's just applying to them to the kingdom. Multiple times in the Scriptures, God has spoken of a nation or a peoples as a tree in whom the birds of those surrounding them would take refuge. Specifically, in one instance, in Ezekiel 7, I'm sorry, 17, in Ezekiel 17, verses 22 and 23, it says this, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from a lofty top of a cedar, I'll set it out, I'll break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, a small, right, insignificant, and I myself will plant it on high and lofty mountain, and on the mountain height of Israel I will plant it. That's interesting that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under which will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. What's being spoken of is those who are outside, who would take refuge among this people, this kingdom. Now consider the mustard seed of our parable. It's not only small, it's insignificant. But what real consequence, what real consequence does a nearly microscopic seed have in the world? It's just a tiny little mustard seed. But when it grows, it not only grows larger than all of the other garden plants, it serves the purpose of providing shelter to that which is around it. It serves a purpose in the world. This has been the purpose of God throughout the scriptures. He's caused his word to take root in a particular people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But right there, right there in the promise to Abraham that he would even have an Isaac, right there in that promise in Genesis chapter 12 is God's promise of hope and rescue for Abraham, but hope for the whole world that the birds of the air might take refuge in them. Here's Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. I think this is one of the greatest proclamations of the gospel in the Old Testament. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. See, large and significant. Then I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do you see it? Already, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then here, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can you see the birds taking up their nests in the tree of what God is building there in the promise to Abraham? Friends, for many of us in this room, that's us. While for Abraham, God's words are huge and significant, what consequence would they have if we didn't have that little last part? What real significance would they have for the world? 
But God's word is given in this tiny seed form to Abraham through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. Ultimately, this would be fulfilled in the coming of Messiah. And when Messiah, Jesus, arrives on the scene and the king is speaking the words, he is the descendant of Abraham and the means through which that word would expand far beyond this tiny, little, seemingly insignificant, word-preserving people. Jesus is the seed of the promise and the great plant that breaks forth from the ground and is a blessing to whom all would come. He's the king of the kingdom. The word is now being fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus brings a, a, begins with a small and a little consequence in the world, people. But through Jesus, will flourish in greatness and significance for all who would take refuge in the king. In the king. Who are we talking about when we're talking about the kingdom? We're talking about the king. We take refuge in the authority of the word of the king, and that's the kingdom people. The greatness and significance of the gospel. That's what Jesus is talking about, right? He went out preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Again, I don't want you to have a small view of the greatness and significance of this parable, nor the gospel word it represents. God's word has been working to fashion a people for himself right from the beginning. Right in creation, he fashioned Adam and Eve for himself. And after Adam and Eve's rebellion and sin, God in the garden declared that he would have one who would crush the head of their enemy, Satan. By his word, he's been making this promise. God's word has been planted in the midst of Israel throughout the whole of the history of the people. Even in this form, through mediators and prophets, many in the surrounding nations have found refuge in that people. Consider Rahab. Consider Ruth, both foreigners who heard God's power and promise and took refuge among the people of God. That mustard seed parable's been happening the whole time. But now... Jesus has come. The king himself has come, and he's continuing to plant the word, the word of his kingdom. You can see him. He's out in the harvest field, and he's planting the word of his kingdom, the word of the king, and he will do a work by which he will cause that seed to burst through the ground in a faith-filled kingdom people. It's with the work of Jesus' death and resurrection, the fulfillment of of the gospel promise that the news of salvation for all people will spread from the mouth of Jesus to the mouth of the apostles to the mouths of all who would cling to him in faith. It'll spread to every family in the earth. This is the breadth. It's the greatness and significance of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Through the gospel word, though it begins with a small people, A people of little consequence. That word was preserved for centuries, often in great obscurity, often not fully understood, but still clinged to by a people, by the work of one man, Jesus. The kingdom that is like a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up. And it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. 
to what can we compare Jesus? His word and his kingdom. Friends, this is the way of the gospel. It's the way of the king. It's his design. It's his, he's the king. He gets to design the kingdom however he would please. And he has always worked among small things to display his glory and greatness. Is this not true? In Jesus, in his death and his resurrection, the greatness of the kingdom has been truly revealed. So we are without excuse. But we should also not be surprised to find that Jesus still, to this day, works among small and insignificant things. Small and insignificant peoples to work his greatness in his gospel. He's simply displaying the simple reality of Mark chapter 10, verse 27. With man, it is impossible. With man, it's a small thing and it remains obscure. For all things, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And so we often see that upside down nature of the kingdom of God from small to great. The nature of the kingdom is in Mark chapter 10, verse 31. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. It's the nature of the way of the kingdom and the king. We should not be discouraged to find ourselves in a humble state. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you are as a household. I definitely feel like that's where we are as a church. May God never change it. May it always be so. May we be simply like a people who have received a tiny little seed. May our hope be in the king and in his authority to cause great things to happen. Especially this morning, if you feel small, you even know that you are more than small. You're a sinner. You're, you're an enemy of the kingdom and of the king. You know so little of the scriptures. You've so often failed to obey, but friends, just as Adam and Eve who first sinned before God in their rebellion, there is promise. There is hope. There is the word of the kingdom to call small people like me and like you to be recipients of his, the power, the greatness of his tiny little word of grace. Friends, we have a long history of a people who have been marked by stumbling and failing, but God's word has always been faithful. Are you a stumbling and faith and failing person this morning? So often, I know for myself, when I would come to church week after week or gather with my youth group when I was a, a kid, I would come in and I would think that the business of our gathering was to pump everybody up so we could get it right this time. Like, I know I'm stumbling, I know I'm failing, but this week I'll be great and significant for you, God. You're worthy. Wrong story. Wrong parable. You're a small thing. And his word is being planted in you. And his word is a powerful and significant thing that grows up to forgiveness of sin and his greatness and glory. If you're weak, you're small this morning, it is you that need the seed of the work the word of the king, to be planted and established in you. It's you who needs redemption and the hope of the grace of our God. It's as a people together, not just you, but it's as a people together, as a people of humility, together under Christ our king, 
that the gospel of the kingdom will continue to spread, not only in our lives or in our families or even in our congregation, but to the ends of the earth, because that's what the mustard seed does. This passage ends with a few verses that really put a cap on what Jesus is telling us and what Mark is trying to collect for us in Mark chapter four. Look at it with me. Verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word. What did he speak? The word to them. As they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his disciples, he explained everything to them. Friends, I think there is a call for us this morning that we would move from Jesus' speaking to our hearing. The message of the three parables that we've had, just back to back to back, short, pithy, beautiful, powerful parables in recent weeks, is that the light has come. We are without excuse to live enduringly in darkness. The light has come. The harvest is coming. The growth is often in secret. We often don't see it but it's growing, and the growth is in humility. It is a small thing and seemingly insignificant. But in the presence of the king by his word and the work of his gospel, particularly his death and resurrection, it is of great and eternal consequence. I would ask you this. It's really the question of the chapter. Has the word taken root in you? That is a yes or no question. Has the word taken root in you? Is the gospel seed planted in the soil of your heart? And church, is the gospel seed in us together? Is the word of Jesus preserved among us that he might bear great fruit? He's the seed after all. He knows just the right moment to break forth and grow. This morning, I pray that faithfully the word has been spoken to you. Are you able this morning? Will you humble yourself in faith to hear it? Heavenly Father, there is a place we confess to call a people to hear you. May those who have ears Let them hear, Lord. At the same time, we also confess that without the grace of the Spirit, we will still lack understanding. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give the gift of faith to everyone here who lacks it, to everyone here who is in need of you, which is everyone here. Spirit, would you work to give us faith to hear, understand, believe, and so be changed by this mustard seed at work within your people. God, we trust you for this. And may, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will, according to the authority of your word, be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we long for the day when heaven and earth are the same. We long for the appearance of not only of the king, but the consummation of the whole of his kingdom. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.